Well, one of the ways that we can address the uh, shortage of affordable housing in Illinois is obviously by uh, encouraging the preservation and creation of more actual affordable rental. The federal government is suddenly starting to look at housing as health care. And they've never done that. They have never done that. They've always been really, really resistant. Welcome to the Cloudcast. I'm Joel Ebert. I'll be your host this week. Affordable housing has long been an issue in Illinois, and the importance of it has become even more apparent during the COVID-19 pandemic. Renters and homeowners who suddenly were facing financial insecurity faced additional uncertainty with their homes. This year, lawmakers introduced and ultimately passed several affordable housing and other housing-related measures during the spring legislative session. In recent weeks, Governor J.B. Pritzker has signed several of those bills into law. To explore the issue of affordable housing, I turned to two key players involved in the discussion and negotiations of the various housing bills this year. First up on the Cloudcast, you'll hear from Bob Palmer, the Policy Director of Housing Action Illinois, which is an affordable housing advocacy group. Palmer and I discussed the various bills taken up this year, as well as the status of the state and federal eviction moratorium. We also discussed one of the more controversial housing bills that were considered this year, a measure seeking to end Illinois' prohibition on rent control. Later on the podcast, you'll hear from Senator Sarah Feigenholz, a Chicago Democrat who was involved in negotiating what was called the Omnibus Affordable Housing Bill that was approved. Feigenholz had a separate bill that sought to encourage the development of more affordable housing through tax incentives that was ultimately included in the omnibus bill. She'll share some insights on the -the behind-the-scenes discussions that took place in the formation of the omnibus affordable housing bill. Joining me now on the podcast is Bob Palmer, Policy Director at Housing Action Illinois. Thanks for coming on, Bob. Thanks for having me. So first off, For those who are unfamiliar, can you give an overview of your organization's work and priorities? Sure. We're a statewide affordable housing coalition that works to ensure that everyone in the state has an affordable place to live regardless of their uh, income. Unfortunately, we've been in, uh, had to be in business for the last 35 years because this is a longstanding issue in our society, the lack of affordable housing and that there's so much, um, Homelessness. We have a variety of programs, but my role at the organization is to um, lead our advocacy efforts, primarily at the state and federal uh, level, working with other groups around the country to work on issues like the state budget or uh, bills in Springfield, administrative rules. We, uh, of course, uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, been very much focused on pandemic response. And I would say, uh, you know, given your role, this was a pretty successful session. There were several uh, bills that were approved during the the General Assembly spring session that were housing related. Uh, And they're now, uh, you know, one by one becoming law. Uh, So the first one I wanted to ask you about was the COVID-19 Emergency Housing Act. Uh, For people who don't know, what does that law do? Uh, Well, that's a bill that we worked uh, primarily with... uh uh, Representative Delia Ramirez on, and we've been working with her on some of the provisions in it actually even before the uh, pandemic. But that bill basically does three things. It set 
uh, rules and guidelines for how the state of Illinois would distribute emergency rent assistance uh, dollars to assist people get get through the pandemic, both landlords and um, tenants. It uh, provided some uh, temporary protections for homeowners and small building owners who were facing foreclosure. And then also it seals eviction records um, during the pandemic, going back to March of 2020 through March of 2022, uh, particularly in cases where the only issue is non-payment of rent, which is the vast majority of cases. So that will um, keep those cases from going into the public record and won't become an obstacle to people finding housing um, in the future. I was just going to ask you, how does that affect people? So when, you know, you are uh, looking for a new home, um, how can that that last uh, provision that you were talking about affect you as a prospective, uh, you know, renter? Well, this is an issue, again, that was on our radar screen and others around the country well before the uh, pandemic, but particularly in uh, the modern world where uh, more and more landlords are relying on sort of automated uh, tenant screening reports that they pay, you know, many different companies that uh, you can find on the internet um, for even just having an eviction filing uh, on your public uh, record, even with no info about what the outcome of the case was or what the reason for the filing was, or even if it's, you know, some of these companies aren't particularly careful about even making sure that, uh, you know, they're reporting on uh, the person who's actually applying for the housing, you know, people of common names and that sort of thing, similar issues that people run into with their um, credit reports. We know just having that filing is an obstacle to finding housing. And so uh, we've been working to try and expand access to uh, allow more people to have their eviction records sealed. We definitely understand that landlords have an interest in um, screening tenant applicants. And there's lots of ways that landlords can do that through, you know, checking references, checking uh, uh, credit and other things. And it, again, if it's a, if it's an issue that's unrelated to payment of rents, you know, some major violation of a lease or anything, um, those records generally won't be sealed. So the, the other bill I wanted to ask you about was the omnibus affordable housing bill that was approved and recently signed by the governor into law. Um, there are several components of the bill, but by and large, it was aimed at bolstering affordable housing in Illinois. Why is this so important? And what are some of the, the key provisions that you are um, particularly you know, interested in and think will help? Well, one of the ways that we can address the uh, shortage of affordable housing in Illinois is obviously by uh, encouraging the preservation and creation of more actual affordable rental um, housing in Illinois for the uh, income level being uh, targeted by the various provisions in this bill. Primarily, there's a shortage of over 100,000 affordable and available uh, rental housing units. And so uh, this omnibus bill that we work primarily with uh, Senator Manny Hunter, uh, Senator Ann Gillespie, and Senator uh, Sarah Feigenholtz um, on, as well as uh, Representative Gazzardi and Representative Ramirez in the uh, House, it uh, invests some of the fiscal recovery funds that Illinois uh, received in the creation of more affordable rental housing. And then also it 
offers uh, property tax incentives for uh, owners in the private market. Uh, it's available basically to any owner of a building with seven or more units. And if they invest in their building, either do like a substantial rehab or a new construction project and commit to keep the uh, rents affordable for a period of at least 10 years, then they would get a reduction in their uh, assessed value, which is one of the components of figuring out your property tax uh, bill. So it's both encouraging investment and uh, creating and preserving affordable housing units. And really kind of, as I said, any type of owner can uh, participate from those owners that are really focused on developing affordable housing to owners that are you know, building uh, market rate housing in higher cost markets like downtown or a lot of the north side of Chicago. Uh, but actually, we think the primary audience uh, for this incentive is owners in lower cost markets like the south or west side of Chicago or the south suburbs of uh, Cook County, where owners struggle to invest in their buildings. And we believe this incentive will allow them to qualify for that financing to do things like put a new roof on their building or, uh, you know, do an energy efficient uh, HVAC system and uh, get that financing, but also keep the rents affordable. Affordable housing has been a longstanding issue, as, as your organization has noted in Illinois, and you said earlier in this podcast. Why was now the right time, right, for these things to pass in the legislature? Was it, you know, largely because of the way that the pandemic really kind of laid bare uh, these issues and, and made it uh, kind of unavoidable for people to, to see the difficulties that people face uh, in a way that maybe you wouldn't have had five years ago or 10 years ago. Well, maybe not 10, because that was uh, the the uh, Great Recession as well. But do you, you, you get my question. Yes, I think that's very much um, true. Obviously, early in the pandemic, we were all encouraged to stay at home as much as uh, possible for our own safety and to promote the public health and the safety of others. And obviously, if you're, worst case scenario, homeless, or if you're just struggling to uh, pay the rent or so many families are, are uh, doubled up and living, living in overcrowded uh, uh, situations, I think there was more of an importance, more of an awareness of the importance of having a safe and affordable home. And then obviously there's been the eviction uh, moratorium, which again was put in place to protect the public health. Uh, it seems like that will be coming to the end uh, in the next uh, uh, several weeks or a couple of months. Uh, we know that's been hard on uh, many landlords, and all, but it's been a really uh, crucial thing to have in place to, again, protect the public health and keep people um, housed and um, avoiding a huge eviction crisis and creating more homelessness during the pandemic. You, you alluded to my next question just there. So what's the status of both the state and the federal eviction moratoriums, and what does their, their end mean? You know, what, what could the end result be? Well, several weeks ago, Governor Pritzker announced that he was phasing out the state uh, moratorium by the end of August, and he's been, again, uh, making changes to his executive order, again, phasing it out. It, the Illinois uh, moratorium has always been somewhat stronger than the federal moratorium, which we've been very um, uh, thankful for. Um, recently, it's been in the news a lot that uh, the Biden administration working with the CDC after a brief uh, uh, pause or expiration of the federal moratorium, they put it back in place through uh, October 3rd. Uh, 
uh, that moratorium is really important. Most all states in the country uh, previous to that, uh, the CDC reinstituting the eviction moratorium didn't have any protections at all against uh, evictions. It really only protects people against the uh, last stage in the eviction process, which is being uh, removed from the home by a local law enforcement um, agency. Uh, where we are at in Illinois right now is that as of August 1, uh, generally there's no restriction on landlords doing uh, filings of evictions. Uh, tenants can still protect themselves by um, either the state of Illinois declaration form or the CDC uh, declaration form that they still should be getting from their landlord or they can find online and they if they're having a hard time paying the rent and they haven't already given one of these forms to their landlord, they should, and that will uh, provide them with uh, more protection. Uh, there's currently a Supreme Court order in Illinois that's essentially staying all um, non-payment eviction cases against people who provided this declaration form to their landlord, making them a covered person. And those uh, cases are being referred to rent assistance and uh, landlord tenant mediation and other uh, services to try to avoid the eviction and get the rent paid um, and have a good outcome for the tenant and the landlord. So while there were several me measures your organization supported that were approved during the, the spring uh, General Assembly, in your post-assessment or post-session assessment, you noted that there was more work remaining, including um, to try and lift the state's ban on rent control. Uh, that bill did not ultimately get passed. Um, why is that issue important and how would that help people? Well, obviously, this has been a very contentious issue that, and uh, it's got a huge amount of uh, press coverage. But basically what it comes down to is that the uh, state has a law, like many other uh, states around the country that in Illinois, uh, local governments are restricted from passing any ordinances whatsoever that uh, control or limit rent increases. And uh, a lot of the people who are opposed to repealing that state law say, well, if we repeal the state law, we're going to have, you know, like, uh, you know, New York City or San Francisco type uh, rent control um, uh, which isn't which isn't the case. All it would do is allow local governments to uh, uh, potentially uh, pass ordinances that do have uh, some provisions that, in a way, do limit rents. For example, and we were talking earlier before we or we alluded to uh, the Great Recession. After the Great Recession and the foreclosure crisis, um, there Chicago passed an ordinance called the Keep Chicago Renting. Um, ordinance that uh, limited rent increases in uh, foreclosed apartment buildings when a new owner came in basically saying that, you know, the new owner can't uh, significantly increase uh, the rent after they take over the building. It didn't eliminate rent increases. It just limited uh, the rent increases. And so that ordinance was struck down by the uh, courts recently or um uh, uh, because of the state law preempting rent control. So there's there's lots of other uh, uh, issues and needs that uh, could be addressed by repealing that state law on uh, on the Rent Control Preemption Act. And remind me, what was the status of that bill? I thought it was moving forward in the House, but uh, did it did it not uh, you know go to the floor or? 
it passed committee in the House, the Housing Committee, but it never there was never a four vote on the uh, on the bill. So, Bob Palmer, Policy Director at Housing Action Illinois, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Joining me now on the podcast is Senator Sarah Feigenholz. Thanks for coming on. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. I wanted to have you on to talk about uh, various housing issues. Uh, Given your sponsorship of um, one of these standalone bills, Senate Bill 330, uh, but let's let's take a a bigger picture approach. So your uh, legislation was folded into an omnibus housing bill. Um, For people that aren't familiar with Senate Bill 330, uh, what was that, and and what are the the uh, components that were folded into this larger omnibus affordable housing bill? Well, I mean, it, it, this piece of legislation, I mean, three thirty, um, you know, was four years in the making. I'm I'm not sure that a lot of listeners or that you even on know that this is something that the Cook County Assessor's Office had in place years ago. It was called Classification Nine. But the, the difference is, is that this, this bill was much more, it, it worked better for, a, um, for communities that have little affordability, like the, you know, I live in a re- relatively expensive, you know, the housing stock here is very expensive. And, uh, but, and so it takes care of communities like the one that I represent as well as other communities. Um, The original classification nine was really um, not well crafted and it, 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 the people participating in this program were very limited, was very limited. This will, this particular bill sets more affordable units aside and it's like will include from 15% to 35%. And I think the expectation from some of the housing advocates is that it's going to provide for about 15,000 units of housing in the city. And, and largely this is to incentivize for people that are, are building and, and from the, the landlord standpoint uh, to set aside these units that necessarily uh, the free market may not, you know, uh, say, well, we're going to do this out of the goodness of our own hearts. Well, and you know, every year, even before the pandemic, the cost of water goes up, the, co- the taxes go up, electricity, utilities go up. And, you know, therefore the rent has to go up and that displaces people who are, you know, longtime members of the community, especially elders who live on a fixed income. Okay. So, you know, it, making improvements for a building is very out of reach under those conditions. So this will permit more flexibility and reduce the assessment of landlords who participate so that they will have more uh, wiggle room to make those improvements. It's sort of a win-win for everybody. And I think one of the the interesting elements of your bill is, is, as initially written, you had a lot of Chicago City aldermen uh, in March encourage Senate President Don Harmon to uh, essentially advocate and get behind the, the bill's passage. But as it made its way through the Senate, you saw Republicans 
uh, seize on it and actually say this is this is good because it's not just a Chicago focused bill. It's it's got a statewide application, right? Yeah, you know, I think that it, one of the things that we have to it was you know obviously uh, the pandemic. It, you know, I I can hardly say that good things came of it, but I think it really amplified and refocused attention on the on affordability and housing affordability specifically and how pressing of an issue it really is. Um, How difficult it is to try and get some of this rental assistance money, very complicated at the Housing Development Authority. Um, And things became and are continue to be very desperate. So I think that uh, the silver lining of this whole experience is um, that that it, it you know it no longer became a partisan issue. Sometimes it is, and uh, all hands on deck, and we had a lot of support uh, from community. You, you are sort of jumping ahead of me. That was a, a, a kind of an allusion to a question I was going to ask you a little bit later, but I'll do it now. Um, so you know, affordable housing in Illinois has been an issue for for years. Um, I talked to uh, Housing Action Illinois, and they had said that they're um, they've been around for 35 years, kind of highlighting the need to address affordable house- housing. So the question, I guess, is why is now the right time? Right? Is it partially because uh, of the availability of federal funds through either the ARPA uh, money or just the the CARES Act, or is it the the just the entirety of the pandemic kind of laying bare? Um, the difficulties that renters and, and people that are kind of financially struggling uh, have to face while uh, securing housing? You know, the, I, I could extrapolate on, on that for an hour, but here's what I'm going to tell you. My experience is that the federal government is suddenly starting to look at housing as health care. And they've never done that. They have never done that. They've always been really, really resistant and try to keep a firewall between FHA, CHA, and healthcare. But, you know, when we can't find people, you know, if somebody went into a doctor's office, a woman got a mammogram, and and um, the doctor suspected something was going on and called her back, but he couldn't reach her. It's because she's probably homeless um, and living, you know, you know, she doesn't have the resources and they can't find her. And thus we are, you know, unable to do follow up and actually take care of this particular person. You know, there are so many situations like this. And finally, I believe that the pandemic and ARPA um, is finally beginning to recognize the need for affordability. You know, you see, um, we've we've had a moratorium. There's about 150,000 plus cases for people applying for rental assistance. You see, there is right now, right now, as we record this, right now. And so the the there were people had an aha moment where they realized that. You know, they looked at this legislation and said, hey, 
you know, we can provide sustainable long-term solutions for landlords who are struggling to balance their rising property taxes in gentrifying neighborhoods for the purposes of keeping their long-standing tenants in their homes who, as I said earlier, maybe live on a, a fixed income. But this is also a, addresses different market challenges um, it, for current property, future property, and um, in, and it, in for my district, which is a higher higher cost housing market, it's going to bring more diversity into my neighborhood, which is what I want. And it encourages investment where it's needed most in disinvested neighborhoods. And I think that the the letter from the alderman, it was an extraordinarily diverse group of people. You had the 43rd Ward alderman and alderman from um, the South and West Sides, the First Ward, um, you know, people who are watching um, communities and, you know, people who have lived in certain neighborhoods like Pilsen and Little Village their whole life, you know, breaking into their 401ks to pay their property taxes and then forgetting that they're going to have to pay capital gains on that. I mean, you know, so this is really a good path, a long-term path and a long-term investment. So, and there's, um, the application for this begins on, I believe it's January 1st because, you know, um, uh, the assessor's office is very excited about this program, very, very excited, and was sort of pleading about needing parameters about the, the percentages, and that's exactly what they got. And um, I'm really excited. I mean, I remember talking to you in May about this. I really didn't know where it was going. So, so I mean, take me behind the scenes then. How did this get folded into this omnibus bill? Because oftentimes, um, you know, while we're covering the session, it's just, okay, here's the, the last minute push of this, this thing that's packed together, right? The elections bill had 50 different things it felt like in there. How did this uh, get folded into the omnibus affordable housing bill? Yeah, I know you want some trade secrets there. Well, you know, I... I uh, found it fascinating because, I mean, I had my, I was always hopeful um, about the other pieces. But as you know, Janet Yellen, you know, there was a, there was a piece that Maddie, Senator Maddie Hunter had, and it was an income tax, tax credit. And I believe that they were looking for about $30 million. And as we started negotiating um, and working on the bill, we ended up like, well, we take four million, you know, and and then all of a sudden the feds came out with the rules around ARPA that said you can't do tax credits while you're taking rescue money. So that that sort of just closed the lid on on that opportunity for that portion of the bill. And then lo and behold, once our staff combed through the conditions of how some of the $8.2 billion that's coming to Illinois can be spent, um, there was a lot of money for housing. And um, we sat in a room and, uh, as I said, um, 
you know, we said to staff, we originally wanted $30 million. Well, after they offered the fact that there was a lot of housing money, I just sort of threw a crazy number out there and it stuck. What was the crazy number? $300 million. <laughs> and, and when you say it stuck, it remained in the bill for this? Nothing remained in the bill. Okay, it was sort of a conversation and, you know, I just added a zero. It was very easy. And I mean, because we hadn't been privy to how big, big was for housing. Um, and so um, at, at the bill signing, the governor, I believe, committed $75 million for this fiscal year. And remember, Joel, we have got to spend this money by 2024. Right. So, um, I mean, at some point this turns into a pumpkin, right? And so, um, we, you know, we've got a, you know, you've got Ida, an agency that's got a lot of, uh, pressure on them to get that rental assistance money out the door. And now we've got this, right. And, 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 but even at the bill signing, um, you know, we're hearing all about um, developers who are ready to take advantage of this. Um, I think that the core bill that I worked on, that the aldermen liked it, you know, they are living this housing shortage and housing problem every day. Um, in some of the more progressive aldermen's districts, um, they were looking for developers who weren't going to offload their AROs. And actually, when they came and 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 as you read in the letter, they felt that this was a tool or a lever that they could pull for more family housing. Right. Uh, You know, families are the underpinnings of every community. You stay there. You raise your kids there. You shop there. Your parents live there. You know, a lot of times you're you know going to see developers who want to build 363 square foot apartments that are studios for young people who don't really, you know, proportionally, you know, they don't, um, they don't get rooted in a community. They are there for school. They're there to play. They're there, you know, and then, you know, they skedaddle and they leave and they're not, they, they're never permanently sewn into the fabric of the community. And so we're, you know, you know, like Alderman Lispada was want really wants affordable family, and so these are the kinds of levers and tools. All everything that went into this bill is an opportunity to encourage and advocate for um, affordable housing programs that work for everybody's community. And oftentimes, you hear advocates and and supporters of affordable housing, like. Um, I don't know if you say the phrase, but I, I've definitely heard uh, Representative Gazzardi say multiple times, uh, housing is a right, not a privilege. And you alluded to that earlier. Are you hoping that, uh, you know, the success or the potential success of these programs and uh, some of this, the, the, the provisions in the omnibus housing bill will help change minds and, and get people into that, whether, you know, uh, they may, may have been skeptical on that, that claim you know, I, I whether I want whether I want to believe it or not, we have all got to, you know, have this moment of radical acceptance that our lives are never going to be the same again. 
after this pandemic. Everything has changed. You know, we're, I mean, there's going to be, nothing's really going to look the same ever, you know, and I've pretty much resigned myself to that. But one thing that I do know is Chicago is a city of neighborhoods. And when people think about coming to this city, they want to know that we have robust education. And if we don't have housing, our schools will be empty. Our storefronts will be empty. Um, and I just think that I am much more hopeful now than I was. I do believe that the federal government has had a moment of reality where they they are talking about housing and they're they're no they're they're getting a little bit more relaxed about the firewall that I described earlier. You know, where where they're beginning to see that, you know, from data that outcomes are better when people have a roof over their head. You know, when people have been stabilized, their health outcomes are better, their their there's less crime and violence in the home and in the community. Um, and and at the end of the day, as a, a legislator and an elected official who's very community focused, I know that that's what I want. And I'm sure that that's what Representative Gazzardi and Alderman Spada want. Well, there were several housing related bills that were approved during this session. There were other ones that failed to cross the finish line. Um, what are some of the notable outstanding housing related issues that you would like to see taken up either in the, the fall veto session or when the General Assembly returns? You know, what I really when I first got elected, Joel, I ran on a renter's tax equity credit. Um, and I'm not sure um where that piece fits in. But I think that when rent goes up, uh, when property taxes go up, rent goes up. And I think that there should be, I've seen other states and municipalities consider that. In my particular district, um, the market is shifting. Um, you know, the history of the lakefront was that people used to come into these very tall apartment buildings before air conditioning and actually come to the lakefront. This was, this was sort of a resort area. Okay. Um, and those buildings in the go-go eighties and nineties converted to condominiums. Right. And now what we're seeing is a lot of buildings that are, have had a lot of deferred maintenance who have not managed their buildings as well as they should have, maybe because there's lots of resistance for condominium owners who are on fixed incomes to not put extra money in the pot for, um, uh, you know, as minimal as it might be, or, you know, it, you know, if you pay a little bit for a long time, it adds up and you've got money to fix things. Okay, but if you don't even raise it a little bit with the prospect of needing, you know, new windows, new carpeting, you know, things to keep the building attractive and marketable, then what I'm seeing is a lot of these buildings are um, there are people who are coming in to try and um, deconvert them from condos back to apartments rentals. And I'm not sure that that phenomenon has hit your radar screen yet, but it's it's alive and well, and it's happening a lot. 
Well, is there anything else uh, you want listeners to know about, uh, you know, either the affordable housing or other housing related bills that you're you're thinking about or uh, other issues that you're, you're focused on? Well, I just, you know, I know that, um, you know, I, I want people to realize that there is a shift and that uh, we're on a better track. And I think that um, the federal government and the Biden administration is recognizing the value of housing and uh, our governor and our leaders in both the House and the Senate um, also um, were able to utilize this precious money to solve a problem that hopefully um, in some iteration will continue beyond this pandemic, beyond the rescue plan, um, and that um, the uh, quote of that housing is a right, not a privilege may very much and very quickly become a reality. Senator Sarah Feigenholz, thanks for coming on the Cloudcast. It's great to be here, Joel. I hope um, to hear from you soon. Thank you so much for inviting me. That's it for this episode of the Cloudcast. Special thanks to Senator Sarah Feigenholz and Bob Palmer for talking to me this week. This episode has been produced and edited by myself, Joel Ebert. Our next episode will air in two weeks. See you next time.